0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. To start the talk tonight, I'll first give the important information for some of you, I'm sure. San Francisco 49ers 31, (laughs) Tampa Bay 7. Joe Montana had a wonderful day today, (laughs) recited his mantra many times, it was obvious, gained over 330 yards in the air. This is my debut as a sports announcer at Dharma Talks, (laughs) (coughs) so I'm sure that the sports fans really appreciate this, (coughs) but you can hold the notes, it's okay. I know that you're out there, sports fans. Actually, football is quite related to this talk (laughs) because it's a talk on interest. Do you hope it's an interesting talk? I was thinking about the word interesting and sometimes it's not such a pleasant word to hear as if you prepare a meal and spend a lot of time and (laughs) feed it to someone and say, well, what did you think? And they say... It was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It has lots of different connotations. But we do hope for an interesting experience, don't we, usually? Mm -hmm. Last night, Christopher talked about interest in relation to absorption. And when it's strongly present... It's quite easy at times to be so drawn into the object, so absorbed, that there's a tremendous power of concentration and unity. But interest is also quite essential for the observation aspect of the practice. Because without it, it's hard to keep on paying attention, isn't it? keeps things dull, feel like you're sleepwalking through the day. When strong interest is present, you don't have to be persuaded to be mindful, to pay attention. In relation to football, I don't have to be persuaded to look at the TV when it's on. In fact, if I'm in a house that I know that there's a game on, especially if it's the 49ers, It takes quite a lot of energy to keep from being in that room. It does. It's interesting. (laughs) That's where interest becomes addiction. And that's something else to explore as well. But what are those qualities that keep us so drawn to the object, so connected to the object... When are you interested in your life, out in the world? What are the times that you're really interested? Or here on the retreat, when is it that you're really in contact with experience, fascinated? Probably you've had a moment or two of that, probably more, sometime during the last week. Because it is an interesting process, isn't it? Perhaps not from sitting to sitting. It doesn't seem so interesting. Oh, it's the breath again. Oh, it's another step. But when we look back on the long haul, it's quite a fascinating process. When are the times that you're really here, and present, and connected, not because you should be, but because there's nowhere else to be? What qualities are present at those times? Just reflect for a moment. What's happening at, the, at those times? And there's strong contact with experience. Usually, in our lives out in the world, when there's a, a keen participation in events, there's an association with pleasure, with entertainment, with stimulation, something that stimulates either our senses or our minds. enough so that we can connect with the experience and in that connection there's a feeling of aliveness, certainly not dullness, of contact so that we're not separate but somehow involved. And often that quality leads to attachment, it feels so good I want more. And so, interest is usually associated in most people's minds and probably in ours most of the time with fun, with joy, with pleasure, with entertainment. On retreat, we don't usually have those options. The option to change the channel on the TV or slip in a movie in the VCR. And that's a kind of challenge of practice, a hard part of practice, trying to get interested in something that most people would find quite boring. Boring or terrifying it seems kind of unnatural. But it is interesting as we do it. Why? It's hard to explain to someone who's not involved in this process, but we've all seen for ourselves that when we bring awareness to the moment, it's quite vivid, isn't it? It's one of the things that I really enjoy about the eating meditation. Taking a raisin, putting it in your mouth, and just getting so so stimulated from one little raisin. It's amazing. And it's not that the raisin is so special, but the awareness creates a kind of life, contact with life, that is much more powerful than most of the gourmet meals that we eat and somehow find themselves down in our stomach at the end. Because we're present for it. Where else can we feel alive but in the moment? Can we feel alive thinking about what might happen tomorrow or what happened yesterday? So part of this retreat experience is an appreciation of this quality of awareness that makes things come alive. And in that, there's a sensitivity that gets created that's not looking for the senses to be overloaded quite the contrary you get a headache you feel exhausted when you're quite overloaded after you've cleaned yourself out for a few days it's a kind of fasting experience where after you've cleaned yourself out just the most subtle taste can be fascinating tasting an avocado rather than pouring cayenne and salt and ketchup and all the things you might have put on the burgers today on top of the experience how beautiful an avocado tastes and the texture of it so it's this sensitivity that we bring that allows us to really appreciate in much more subtle ways experience in life. When I was a a child, and I often say this in, in group interviews when people talk about boredom, I used to see a shaft of light come through the window. I still do this sometimes and perhaps you can relate. Just a shaft of light and when I'd look carefully There'd be this whole dance going on inside. All these dust particles swirling around. Just a whole galaxy going on in there. And I used to stare at it. Wow, look at that. If someone would ask what I was doing, and I'd say, I'm watching some dust. You know, it doesn't sound very fascinating. But you probably can relate to that experience. There's a lot going on that we're usually not in touch with. And when the attention is sufficient, anything, the breath, pain, fear, boredom, anything, can be of interest, enough interest to call us to explore. So what gets in the way of that interest? We know for ourselves, all I have to do is really bring care to this moment. Fantastic. And yet, again and again, we have to somehow muster up the intention to do that. What gets in the way of interest in your practice? When do you check out? What's going on when you just kind of turn the awareness off? often from this conditioning that we have equating interest with entertainment, when things aren't fun, (coughs) the interest disappears. And on retreat, things aren't fun when they're unpleasant. Either body difficulties, mind states, emotions, thought keeping on running incessantly, And that strong conditioning to turn away when it's not fun or to contract against it is not often seen. But somehow it's there and it makes this this task of opening ourselves to those objects so difficult. We don't realize we've clamped down on our vision. We're turning our head away. Oh, I'll stay with it. I'll let it be here. You know kind of give it a sidelong glance. All right, it's been here for a while. You know, how about it, universe? Yeah. <clears throat> and that gets very confusing because we think we're looking at it, but not directly. Unpleasant experience, fearful experience. Often people think that Lack of interest comes because we're bored, because we're with the familiar, you know, and we want something new until we get something new, something really new. Opening up into the trap door of Wonderland, of the unknown, which doesn't always seem like Wonderland, but Hades instead. And that unknown, when it comes on a bit too quickly, we want to split fast, don't we? And so our interest somehow gets turned off and we call it mm, fuzzing out or um, somehow too much energy to take a look. I'm too restless. I'm bored. Boredom is often associated with that just being on the edge of something new on the other hand sometimes it is true that when we see the familiar again and again and again and again it's hard to keep our interest up the ten thousandth time that you've seen worry about the conversation you're going to have when you leave the retreat alright already enough I've had it and so we're looking for something stimulating something different what we call boredom if we take a careful look at it is quite interesting we kind of fog it over and there's a thickness and a dullness to it but when we explore even that quality of boredom there's a a kind of aversion there I don't like this enough. There's a, a stimulation, a restlessness to get away from it. There's a desire for something else. We just kind of fog it over and say, oh, boring. But looking carefully, we see there's a lot going on. <clears throat> when what's happening isn't good enough, things get hard to stay with. Sometimes it's associated with fatigue, just that lack of energy. It's hard to maintain interest when you don't have the energy for it. And often that comes after a high experience. You've opened up and the whole universe has revealed itself to you. And there you are, peeking out for a few hours or maybe even a day, and then crash. Where did it go? I just can't turn it up like I did before. They're exhausted. And then it gets confusing. Gee, I lost it. What happened there? What did I do wrong? Not realizing that energy has cycles to it as well. New students come in, and don't see often the value of paying attention. And so the first few days, especially when it's difficult, they need to be often coaxed and persuaded and encouraged, just take a look. And on those first few days, it's more a matter of trust, you know, or faith, or lack of faith. And old students also, even when they know, it's easy to forget, why am I here after all? Uh-huh. What's the point of keeping on taking a look at this stuff? So, you can see that there's many things that can get in the way of our interest. How can we activate it when it's not here? Wouldn't that be wonderful to find the switch? Okay, interest. Well, there are some ways that we can activate it that you've probably at times discovered on your own. Perhaps it might be interesting either tonight or at some point in the next day or two to share some ways that we can arouse our interest for ourselves. (coughs) Interest is associated with some of the factors of enlightenment that the Buddha spoke about. As some of you know, there are seven factors of mind, seven different qualities that when brought into balance can lead to certain deep openings in the mind. The first one, mindfulness, is what we've talked so much about and is really the heart of this practice. Mindfulness, just being here in the present. And as a matter of fact, it has the unique ability to cultivate the other six, to develop the other six, as well as be affected as any one of those are are strengthened. Three of the factors of enlightenment have to do with calming the mind, with stilling the mind. Calm, tranquility, a kind of settled stillness. Concentration, stilling the mind in a focused way and equanimity, which is a spacious stillness, a stillness that comes out of balance. (coughs) Three of the factors, the three remaining factors, have to do with arousing energy and arousing interest. (coughs) Excuse me. Um. And I'll just speak a bit about each of these and see how they perhaps can, can relate to practice and be consciously developed when they're either out of balance or weak. Because as we can place attention on them, we can strengthen them, cultivate them. First of these is the quality, the factor of investigation a kind of exploring attitude, an exploring interest. Let me really see. There's a kind of curiosity that can be very valuable, that doesn't let things become mechanical, rote. And at first it has to be mustered, as I said before, mustered up. But as it develops, it keeps on creating itself. Because as we take a look, we see how much there is to discover. And as we take a look, the mindfulness gets strong and so we have that vividness, that contact with experience. It starts with some kind of intention to be present. I will take a look. I will find out. I won't take their words for it. I'll see for myself. Because this is not a second-hand practice. All the words are pointing to your own discoveries. That's the beauty of it. You don't have to wait for anyone else to tap you on the forehead. It's all up to you. I have a friend who I grew up with, who in college was a very good student, and we had gone to high school together. Smart fellow, but was okay in high school. Somehow in college, he just just shot up and had the most fantastic grades and was really committed to practice and uh, to study. Committed to practice? <sighs> Got it on my mind. And I remember asking him at one time, Joe, how is it that you just done so great in college? We well, had about the same average in high school, which was pretty good, but it was a lazy man's good. And he said, Well, you know, when I got to college, first I decided that I was going to do well. And then when I get to a class like statistics or some not very stimulating subject, I'd somehow trick myself into being interested. Say well, this teacher must know something here. He must have gotten so interested to devote his life to it. I'm going to see what it was. And he says, I know it's a trick. But even though I know it's a trick, it works. Because as I start to pretend as if I were interested, it starts happening. I didn't quite get that advice until we were just about in our senior year, so (laughs) should have asked him a little early. But it's true here in practice, too. The more we're present, even if it's pretending at the beginning, pretending to see, the more we see. And the more we see, the more interesting it gets. And the more interesting it gets, the more we want to take a look. Have you noticed that? At times. What we're investigating can be the very things that get in the way of our interest. So we don't have to hurdle them and hope that they'll disappear so that then we can find something really fascinating. And as I said before, those things like fear or pain or boredom... (coughs) are not usually thought of as being interesting but in the practice they're quite fascinating. Have you looked at fear? Probably if you've opened up to it for just a few moments and really been willing to experience it. God, it's amazing, isn't it? All of that stuff that those tapes that have been in there for so long for years and years and lifetimes something triggers it off and there it is. Wow, look at that one. And that intensity of being in contact with the experience of fear or of pain, not a sidelong glance, not flinching away, it creates tremendous interest and also allows us to not be afraid to take a look the next time. Because fear is actually a tremendous aid to practice. It's an ally. It's a signpost that you're on to something new, that you're on to your edges. It's a scout, in a way. Hmm, here we are, into the unknown. And often when we experience it, we say, oh no, I don't want to get into that. But if we can learn to relate to fear as our friend, then it's just getting the knack of working with it so we can use it to open up and welcome it, embrace it. Not drown in it, but take it in manageable pieces and keep on wading in, discovering. sometimes investigation comes becomes a problem when we think that, as I said before, what's happening isn't enough because we're kind of fuzzy in a more global experience than crystal clear microscopic awareness as the hair follicles flow in the breeze with each in-breath or out-breath. Because that's the idea that that we often have of good practice. Ah, focused awareness. One-pointedness. How wonderful it's finally here. And then when it's gone, oh well, what's this? What's left? But that's, I think, a misunderstanding of practice. To have that idea that valid, valuable, truly rich practice is that one-pointed concentration. Practice employs lots of different lenses and sometimes, as I've, I've said at times in groups, there's that zoom lens that just zooms right into things and sees such minute details. It's like opening up to a new world. Sometimes that just isn't the lens that's happening. And the more appropriate one is the wide-angle lens, is seeing, oh, here's confusion. That's what's going on. And there you are, putting the whole experience into one big package. Oh, confusion. Oh, look at that. Oh, what does it feel like? And in that moment, here you are back again. That kind of mindfulness is no less important, no less valid than that fine, detailed, zoom lens. In fact, it's at least as important because what are we more out in the world with our hair follicles or with confusion? (laughs) Hair follicles can be used to just sharpen that tool, but hopefully we can get some kind of understanding about confusion and fear and sadness and understanding and compassion and warmth and joy. That's what this practice is is asking us to discover. So not to get some idea of better or worse type of investigation. Sometimes people get the idea, okay, nothing's happening. I don't I don't see anything to take a look at, you know gee, I wonder if anything will ever come. I'll just be stuck in this boring place for the rest of the retreat. (laughs) I used to have a a sign above my my bed in one three-month retreat. I wrote myself a note after I got this lesson enough. If the thought, it's happening comes, watch out. If the thought, Nothing's happening comes. Watch out. Because you can be sure that whatever it is that's going on, whether it's nothing or everything, it's going to change. So You don't have to worry about whether there's going to be something valuable to look at. In fact, you can look at that worry. You can look at that incompleteness in the mind. Something else that gives a a richness to investigation is a a quality of appreciation of life. It is amazing, isn't it? Just think for a moment. I'm alive. I'm alive. What does that mean? You know, this this being, this kind of field of experience that people call Jamie or people call Joe or people call Laurie that somehow is alive. You know, what does it mean you know, to be on the inside of that? And when you can really be sensitive to that that miracle of life, it's not quite boring to be seeing, to be seeing colors and people and life, to be hearing music in the morning, sounds, kind words, to be eating food and somehow have it work to sustain our energy. There's miracles all around. We just get jaded a bit. So, this appreciation, this moment, the only place that we can really feel alive, isn't it? Appreciating the creativity of life that's constantly churning out something new in our minds, often when we don't want it, in our experience, in our interactions. And that sense of appreciation allows us to see this moment as being complete, enough, just as it is. Nothing else needs to be added to it, nothing needs to be taken away. It's a, a passage that I read a few nights ago from Thich Han, <clears throat> that many people were asleep during because it was the late night sitting. <clears throat> this might give you some incentive to stay up. <clears throat> By the way, I'm reading a really good passage tonight. <laughs> <laughs> really, really. <laughs> He says, walking with ease and peace of mind on the earth is a wonderful miracle. Some people say that only walking on burning coals or walking on spikes or on water are miracles. But I find that simply walking on the earth is a miracle. Imagine that you and I were two astronauts, he says. We've landed on the moon and we find that we cannot return to earth because the engine of our ship is broken beyond repair. We will run out of oxygen before the control center on Earth can send another ship up to rescue us. We know that we have only two more days to live. What then would you and I think of other than going back to our dear green planet and walking side by side in peace and without worries? Often, only when confronted with death we know the precious value of our steps on the green planet now let's imagine ourselves as those two astronauts who have somehow survived their experience let's celebrate our happiness and our joy at being able to walk on our dear earth again we manifest this miracle in each of our steps lotus flowers bloom as we walk That sense of appreciation really brings some aliveness. It's also interesting to see the movements of the mind for more when this moment isn't enough. Looking at that, oh, wanting more. Isn't that interesting? And it gets very, very, very subtle. Investigation. Is not attacking the object. Sometimes people get that idea. You know, I have to really hit it with a sledgehammer. That's not it. And actually, if you have that idea of making contact with your experience, it's exhausting to maintain. Sometimes you can do that, really penetrate. But very often there's a quality of, of being drawn into the object. When there's a minimal amount of interest there, keeping on looking, fine focusing, not straining, but just being sensitive. Hmm. Oh, isn't that interesting? Look at that. And just kind of relaxing the barriers between us and the object. (coughs) Investigation is one factor. Another one is energy. The effort that we can bring to our practice, and that greatly affects our ability to be present. This quality of investigation that I just talked about, whether attacking or being drawn, how much to to put into the object, is connected with effort. And there's a very good illustration that um, that I've been I heard from Sharon. Actually, I think it's it's kind of from a classical. Uh, Uh, description, although it's updated, the analogy. Just imagine spearing some broccoli on a plate. Okay, that's your task. If you take the fork and pound it into the plate, you'll go through the broccoli, maybe break the plate, have the food go splattering, and you'll get a hurt hand. If you bring the fork to the broccoli and just touch it, you won't get what you want. So, finding just the appropriate amount of energy to spirit, it, to stay in contact with it, not to go through it, not to exhaust yourself, but simply to connect with it. And at varying times, that will require different amounts of energy. Because sometimes you're tired and you're fuzzy. And you don't have the the energy to, to pound through, but you know that a little bit more is required of you to make contact. Sometimes, if you've got a lot of energy, you'll go right through the plate. And that can get, can get you hurt. And so, that might mean softening a bit, just holding back, just enough to stay in contact and put the tines right in the vegetable. So this... Energy, the art of energy and bringing interest to objects is making the appropriate adjustment for what's needed because we're a dynamic, changing system of energy. It's not quite quite realistic to expect us to stay peaking all the time or drowsy all the time, changing, coming and going like everything else. And when there's a lot of energy and it starts getting to be very... Restless, get some space. Okay. Take some walks. Take a shower. When there's not enough energy, to get in touch with that strong sincerity, that commitment that brought you here, <coughs> commitment to be present. It's only an effort to be present, and when you see that you've gone, to bring yourself back. And as has been said, effort comes more from the heart than from the will. and So, there's a sincerity that we need to get in touch with. Not evaluating how connected and how present and how vital our practice is all the time, but just with that sincerity of willingness to be here and bring ourselves back. Sometimes it helps to get in touch with your motivation for coming. Why did you come to the retreat? And when you're, when your energy is failing and your doubt is high, getting in touch with it, why did you come here? Giving up vacation time? This isn't particularly fun. but something brought you here. Sometimes it might be helpful to reflect on an inspiration, something that, that really touches our, our hearts, inspires us. And it might be something that someone said, something that you know for yourself to be true. One thought that I have that when my effort is flagging and my doubt is high is a reminder, which might be of some use to you, that every moment that I'm mindful, I'm breaking old habits of reaction, of grasping, of condemning, It's true. Every single moment that I'm mindful. There's not one moment that's wasted. It takes an initial faith or trust to make that effort, make that energy. As we see for ourselves, and by now this is the seventh day, I guess, of the retreat, or sixth day of the retreat, You probably know better than I do. (laughs) As we see for ourselves the value of it, we are shown by our own experience why this practice is so useful. And so that brings us some confidence and some trust in the practice. Investigation, energy, effort. And the last factor is that of rapture which is sometimes defined as a keen interest in the object. Doesn't that sound good? You don't have to try too hard when it's there. It's also associated with a kind of joy and lightness. When you're quite absorbed, nothing is boring or bothering you. You're right here. Rapture, or this keen interest comes. It's a formula. It comes often from concentration. And as we can put in effort, just the effort to be mindful, we create a certain momentum of mindfulness that kicks over into concentration. And the concentration then at times leads to those states of rapture. Not that it's something you want to make happen or go for. It's wonderful when it comes. It's impermanent like everything else. But if it intrigues you enough, the way to do it is to make the effort to be mindful. And the way to, to develop that concentration, the key to it is continuity of practice. It's very frustrating to put in your time, really try hard, really give a full effort, and then you kind of space out and take a break, and, oh well, maybe later on this afternoon I'll come back to to doing this. And there's an image that, that I like of boiling some water, putting it in a tea kettle and putting it on the stove. If you keep on taking it off the stove every 30 seconds, it won't happen. But if you keep it on with a flame on, sometimes the flame might be high, sometimes low. It doesn't matter so much. As long as the flame is keeping on, keeping turned on, it cooks. And it's the same way with our practice. It's not just sitting, it's not just walking, it's each moment. And that's what develops the strength of, of mind and deep concentration. So, interest various ways of working with interest and creating it. It's a quality that comes down to, for me anyway, letting my heart be open and really being touched by what's in front of me, by life. And it's a powerful lesson of the practice that all experiences, not just the entertaining ones, can be interesting and can be fascinating and worthy of our attention. So, instead of the usual question of what is going to make my life interesting, just reflect. Isn't life interesting enough? Isn't it? Isn't it amazing enough? Isn't it creative enough to be worthy of our attention? We can take a few moments for some questions or other comments about interest. And It's it's hard for me to see. So. And what about when interest is in um, something that is diverting the I mind and it's not in interest in hmm. looking at something? But we, all of our energy can be caught in what's really the hmm You know, you know, it can be terribly interesting. Yeah, that's good. What but if she, another Right. Carol asks, what if what is interesting is something that's diverting or distracting the mind that can be a hindrance and just get us lost? It's true. That's what usually happens. Whether it's <laughs> desire or anger or fear. Or, that's where they're called hindrances because we get caught up by them. <clears throat> there's a lot of interest right there's a lot of interest and we keep on getting caught up until we see how painful it is to get caught up in them and so we have to usually learn our lessons the hard way oh it's painful this 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 fear is painful or this this fear of getting in contact with what's really there or this getting sucked away by desire, when we really bring our attention to it, looking at that uh, that, that sense of off-balance and grasping, it's obvious that it's painful. But until we bring our attention to it, it's a hindrance. When we do bring our attention to it, we see the consequences of getting caught up in those objects. And so, again, it comes back to looking carefully at what it is that we're attracted to and the consequence that comes from that. Uh, One uh, teacher that I have uh, tells a story that I'd like to share about this whole kind of process. Three men were working and they were asked what they were doing. The first man says, I'm laying bricks the second man says, I'm building a wall. The third man says, I'm building a cathedral. I hmm. mm-hmm. can see how the attitude can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. If we're just breathing, you know, with a breath. So it's seeing what we're doing in a bigger context, yeah. the bigger picture of it. That's good. Mhm. That's good. Before we go on, could could you press the pause button over there before this goes off? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.